You're listening to Radio Influence. Hey, what's happening? It is the Rock Stops here. My name is Rock Riley. I try to bring you somebody that has made it to the top. How did they stay at the top? What is the, What about life in general? You know what I mean? Not everything is perfect for everybody. As a matter of fact, not everything is perfect for most of us. <laughs> Probably none. But those that have a lot of money and are doing real well and are healthy, you might say, you know what, they're, they're able to, they, they've got it good. You know what, we got to stop looking at everybody else and just concentrate on ourselves. But is that human nature? No. Are we jealous of other people? Yes. Why can't I get that gig? How come that person has that gig? Why do they have that nice home? I can't afford that. My wife would like to upgrade. Well, <laughs> you want to drain the savings? You want to just, uh, you know, put yourself, you know, how come these people are driving around and they must just put it on their credit card? I see people driving around in 50, 60, $70,000 vehicles. Oh my God. But anyway, how are you? All right. You know what? I thought it was time for a little, a little baseball, a baseball story today. This is a, this is kind of a feel good story. It really is an incredible story to me. Um, his name is Jesse Litch. He pitched in the major leagues. He pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays. He made it to the show. You know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to make it to professional baseball where somebody pays you. Look, I played for years and everybody's oh, semi-pro. It's not really semi-pro. You pay to play. Let's call it like it is. Amateur baseball, men's leagues. They were great. I played against some really, really fine talent, but it's amateur baseball. Jesse Litch made it out of Pinellas Park, Florida. He said it was just him and his dad. They didn't have much, and he made it to the show. His his career was cut short because of uh, arm injury. And he tried operations and the thing was not successful. And at a young age, he was told it was over, but he doesn't hold any grudges or, or not, not a grudge. Like he's not, he's moved on in his life. Better him than me. Like if that was me at 27 years old and here I am mowing him down and I'm pitching in the major leagues and then my career is like, it's over. And that's all I know, and I love doing that. And so it, it, and it's a great story. And the part about it that makes it different is he was a bat boy for the hometown team, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And he started, I remember, I'll tell a little bit more in the back end, but I want to bring him in. And to go from being a bat boy in your hometown for the Devil Rays and the crime dog, Freddie McGriff, to make it to the major leagues, it's amazing. I mean, I follow baseball, have for years, you know, pitched in college, like I said, amateur leagues. So I followed it. I follow independent leagues, the Frontier League, the Northern League, uh, the Atlantic League, you know, and all. And some of these guys are pretty damn good ball players, And yet they didn't make it to the show. And then the A ball and double A ball and there's winter ball and Arizona Instructional League, all that stuff. He made it to the show. And so his career was cut short. And you know what he's doing? He plays now. Besides scouting, he's scouting. He'd like to be a manager one day and coach, but he helps out kids and families and their dreams to try to get to the next level, be it college, be it maybe professional baseball. So he's kind of giving back. And then on his free time, he plays in tournaments in amateur baseball. He can't pitch anymore. 
because the elbow, the the arm, you know, it's shot. But but for the love of the game, he still plays and he loves it. How about that? Imagine. I remember being on some teams where a guy. It's rare that a guy played in the major leagues and is now playing on teams that I played on. I played a lot of, with a lot of guys played maybe in double A, triple A, like you say, independent leagues. And even that was like, whoa, whoa, man. They, they ooh, you could tell they, they're, they're a step up. So I just think it's a great story. And I sat down with him uh, at his facility that he had. Check this out, man. Tell him, tell him about your story, Jesse, Jesse Litch. All righty, I am with Jesse Litch. What a what a story! I think you're one of the most incredible stories, honestly. Now, uh, grew up in the Pinellas Park area, made it to the show. Baseball has taken you to some other countries, and you're now playing for the love of the game. Jesse, how are you? Thanks for doing the rock stops here, my man. Ah, no problem. Everything's good here. Just, you know, living life and enjoying it. You do. And I follow you on uh, social media, on Facebook, and I see you, you, you ski, you travel, you get out. You're like hashtag living life, playing baseball for the love of the game. Where'd that come from, man? Where, where'd that attitude come from, Jesse? Uh, I mean, realistically, I mean, it's just what I love to do. I like traveling. I like playing baseball and being able to put both of those together obviously makes it makes it easy. Um, been to a lot of countries with baseball, been to 38 countries overall. So it's something that I, I've always had a passion for. It's something that I like to do. And, you know, people spend money on on things. I like spending money on trips. That's awesome. A kid from Pinellas Park seeing the world. 38 countries. Yes. Oh, my God. Yep. All right. Let's let let's go back a little bit now. Um, being from Pinellas County, Florida, you everybody loves this story. You know, obviously the Bat Boy story to go from being a Bat Boy from being with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays organization. I think I even remember. Were you even interning like in PR? There was maybe a couple of different departments. It was the hometown team. How'd that come about, Jesse? Uh, so I grew up in the uh, Boys and Girls Club in, in Pinellas Park, and they had a essay contest to work for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays as an intern in the public relations department. And I was 15 years old, and I said, why not? I'll write one, and I ended up winning. And was in the PR department, you know, doing stuff around baseball, which was really cool. But for me, I mean, I loved baseball, so... I had credentials to be in the clubhouse and stuff like that. So it was like, where's Jesse? And I happened to be in the clubhouse and (laughs) they were always looking for me and not mailing envelopes. And it was things like that. And eventually the clubhouse manager was like, Hey, you just want to be a bat boy? And I was like, yes. And that's how that came about. Did that for two years. But you know, it was, it was definitely a cool experience being able to get around it and see it at an early age and, and, um, you know, see, see, different parts of it as well from the PR department to, to the bat boy, to the playing side of it. So it was, it was cool to see that in early age. And, and I think that definitely helped me moving forward. I was going to say, cause a lot of times if there's, if the first of all, you got to be talented and a lot of like uh, sons of major league players when they've been around it. And I think that helps as you continue in your career. All right. So you're a pitcher, you, it wasn't, it was like, was it, it was junior colleges, like where you went, it wasn't like, you know, a household name. Did you, when did you think or know that you could make it to the show? Um, 
Realistically, I mean, where I went to college, South Florida Community College, it was, you know, something, probably the best decision I ever made, personally. Um, you know, it was there, Coach Hit over there, who was still there, uh, kind of molded me to be not just a good player, but a good person, and kind of gave me an understanding of how to go about an everyday lifestyle of, of baseball. Um, and you, you couple that with not much else to do but baseball there, it kind of put me in the right direction. Uh, I was always a two-way player growing up, you know, through high school, through college. I was always a good two. I was going to Alabama to play shortstop and pitch on Sundays after that. So it was it was something I enjoyed. I, I always loved hitting, but being there and, and, and getting the understanding of junior college baseball, which I really highly recommend for a lot of kids, it's it was a it was good for me. And, you know, I think after that freshman year where I was the pitcher of the year in Florida, I hit three seventy and got drafted um, by the Toronto Blue Jays, I think that was kind of where I had a little bit of an understanding of at least being a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I never you, you always dream of making it to the big leagues. But to to actually become a big leaguer is, is not an easy task. And, you know, I, I obviously had dreams of it. And did I believe I could get there? Of course. But the realism was like, you know, if I get to pro ball, awesome. And, and we'll move forward from there. That's a, that, that is great. And you know what, baseball, you're right. Like junior college, JC College Baseball in the state of Florida where you play year round, damn good, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I've now, now that I'm on the, the scouting side of it and I get to see it at a, on, a, on a daily basis um, if, I, if I want to, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely one of those things that you look at and you see it as a, a stepping stone to pro ball. And, you know, four-year school, you got to wait three years to go. And junior college, you can go every year. So it's it's definitely a different way of doing it. I mean, the degree right. part of it, obviously going to a Duke or something like that is, is, a, is a better degree. But, you know, with baseball-wise, like, you can't go wrong either way. Now, what was the experience like in the minors? Uh, I'm sure there was, it's, it's, uh, it's a grind. All of a sudden it's a job. Everybody's really good. Everybody's trying to make it to the next level. You know, they're trying to develop. What was that experience like for you, Jesse? Um, for me, uh, it was, I, I, again, it was baseball. I was working. It was something that I love to do. So it was easy. Um, obviously there is a grind. There is a, you know, the, the, the financial side of it isn't the best, but for me, I, I didn't really care. I could, I came up from, you know, not, not much money. So I, I, I just went with it as an everyday thing and it was my job and I wanted to go out there and compete and I loved it. And I mean, that's probably why I made it up in two years. I, I went out there through strikes as a 24th rounder. Like, you know, they, they have prospects and then they have guys that are, you know, I call them suspects, but you know, it's, I wasn't technically a prospect at the time. And, but I just, I I went out and did my stuff and, and wasn't worried about what people thought of me. And I just kind of, I went about my business and, and did it the right way. Now I love the story for everybody that I interview. What was it like when you got the call and getting the word that you were going to the major league club, you were going to the bigs. Do you remember uh, it? Yeah, oh, I know it <laughs> very well. Everybody, yeah. yeah, it's uh so I was in double A. I actually got called up from double A. I uh we were in Bowie, Maryland, and I had just thrown so to start spring training, I wasn't even supposed to be in double A. I was supposed to be in high A, but somebody got hurt in double A. So I ended up being the fifth starter in double A to start the season, which I had already been there the year prior, but I did okay there. And so I was the fifth starter. We had some snow outs early on and I ended up starting five and one with like 
less than a one ERA. So that, that took care of itself. But the day I got called up, uh, we were in Bowie and word got around. I had thrown the day before I had thrown a, a, uh, eight no hit innings and our closer came in and gave up a hit with two outs, but that's, that's a whole nother story. Um, that's incredible though. Uh, so the word got around that Roy Halliday had a emergency appendectomy and that was a, you know, uh, an understanding like, Oh, okay. Somebody has got to go up to pitch in the big leagues. And I wasn't on the 40 man. I wasn't, you know, there, I was only two years in the minors at that point. And it was something that, okay, maybe I'm pitching well, I'll probably go up to AAA and they'll call somebody from AAA up that's on the 40 man. So I go in the office and they're calling me in pitching coaches there. And you know, they're, they're talking, you know, you've been throwing the ball. Great. You've been, you've been doing stuff. You throw strikes, you get outs and, and you're not scared of contact. You're not scared of, you know, competing and, they, I just want to let you know that your your flight, uh, as you, they're like, as you know, Roy Halliday had an emergency surgery at, and, you know, they're going to call somebody up. So I just want to let you know your flight's leaving for Toronto in the morning and you got to kick on a flight at 8 a.m. And he kept rambling on. And I'm like thinking to myself, hold on, wait, Toronto, that's that's the big leagues. And I stopped him. I was like, you mean Toronto? Like I'm going up and and he's like, yeah, you're going to the big leagues. Congratulations. And obviously a lot of. You know, you give me goosebumps. A lot of stuff came to the mind. It was, it was, uh, you know, something that I wanted to call my dad right away, sure. and all this stuff. And um, it, it just so there, I was like, "What? When am I pitching?" They're like, uh, "You're pitching on, on May 15th," and I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool. That's my dad's birthday," which was even more crazy. So, um, you know, it was it was really special in that sense of being able to do you know, make it to the big leagues one, do it on my dad's birthday. And then I had a pretty exceptional first start Wasn't as well. It like the best start ever for a blue Jays pitcher, I believe. Yes. Go that, two -thirds and, or something like that? Uh, I mean, from what, from what I understand, it's, I don't, I don't know that anybody else has done it, um, in the big leagues period. Um, I don't know. Give me it, your stat. Give me your line. It dude. was eight and two thirds. Um, three hits or four hits and one run. Like I, I was, I walked Tejada with two outs in the ninth and, they, they, we were winning two to one. They didn't, they didn't want me. John Gibbons was there, our manager, and he didn't want me to get a loss. If I give up a home run there, I could get a loss after such an exceptional start. Right. So he came and got me, brought the closer in. And, you know, it was, it was after that, it was done. Like I, I went to eight and two thirds. Obviously I wanted to, I wanted to stay out there and get the next out, but I, I, I look back at it. I understand why he did it now. And, but you know, the competitor in me is like, what, what why, why am I getting taken out? But it was a great experience. And, and, you know, I got to experience it with my dad, with some friends and oh. it was, it was cool. Um, I mean, I faced a couple guys on the Orioles that I was bat boy for in Tampa. Oh my God. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was awesome. How were you able to do it with the, with the, what is that like when you actually step out there, the, you take the mound, the rubber, you know? I mean, the first, the first inning first batter was crazy like crazy crazy I, I walked the first guy on four pitches and <laughs> I I think it was for him I don't I, honestly I just know I walked him and I was terrified next batter Marquecas got a hit to right now it's first and third and I'm like oh great here we go um, but I was able to get a, a a ground out double play by Tejada the next pitch so that run scored. So the first batter I ever faced scored, but that was the only run that scored that game. And I think I had something like 22 ground outs that game or something. It was crazy. It was, it was an unbelievable amount of ground outs. And obviously the defense behind me was, was, was amazing. And I still remember it, you know, pretty, pretty distinctly. It's, it's one of those things that you, you won't ever forget. And, you know, after that, had a couple bumps and got sent down, 
Roy Halladay made a, made a miraculous recovery of from emergency appendectomy in in 15 days, which was unheard of. But, <laughs> you know, he, he, if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be him for sure. But, I mean, I went down, got back up probably three weeks later, and that's I kind of stuck. Yeah. You also had, when you went uh, to pitch at Tropicana Field, you had, that was another good outing. What was, I, I think that first year. Yeah. And what was that experience like? Here's where you grew up. Here's where you were a bat boy. But I guess you got to put that, you got to kind of put that out of your mind when you're on, when you're on the hill. Yeah. So I, that, that was actually, I, I'm pretty sure that was the, when I got called back up. I think so. And it was gonna, they are like, oh, you're pitching in Tampa, uh, whatever, Friday, Saturday, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, awesome. So, um, being in the PR department kind of gave me some some friends over at the Tampa side of it, and and Rick um, Rick Vaughn. Rick Vaughn, I, I reached out to him and I basically asked him, you know, I was like, I don't know how many people are going to show up, but how can I get everyone tickets? And he's like, just tell them to say your name at the window, we'll take care of it. Wow. So whoever showed up at the game went to the ticket window, said my name, and. They gave him right field seats down the line, and so he took care of me with with that. But I mean, the experience there—I think I went six and two thirds and threw really, really good, and got to come off the mound to a standing ovation at home. And I think the next day, uh, Madden was like interviewing Bat Boys for pitching jobs after that. <laughs> so it was it was a cool experience. It's definitely one one that you'll remember, and you know, from from you know being in front of friends and family, it was it was definitely. Something that, something that I'll, I'll always cherish, and and you know, it, it's something that I'll I'll remember forever. Now we don't have to get too specific on any games after that. I think in your career, and we'll get to what happened. But overall, you 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 threw strikes, you threw a lot of ground balls, you threw a cutter. Yes, you had the fastball, you had the repertoire. What do you think your key was to staying in the bigs, man? Um. Being able to locate is obviously a plus, um, but not really, not 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 caring. Like it's got to, you got you're gonna get hit. You got to understand that you're gonna have adversity. You're gonna have, you're gonna have things that you can't, you know, you can't control on the negative side of things. So you got to be able to to work through them and and make adjustments. I think that was my my biggest thing was being able to make adjustments and doing my homework because I never had the best stuff, but I had, you know, I had the the I say the sixth tool, which was the mindset of being able to do do the stuff that is needed to get guys out. And for me, that became a, a, a custom to what I do. And um, I still do it to this day. When I'm teaching kids, when I'm doing all this stuff, it's just something that I've always been good at. I, I, I was able to, you know, location is key, but if you don't have the mental stability and you don't have the, 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 the mindset of being able to do all that stuff, it's it's something that you know, it, it, it's hard. Did somebody teach you that or did that just, is that just come from within you think? Uh, I think cause I mean, my dad obviously played a, played a big part in that. I mean, I grew up with, with just my dad. So going to boys and girls club, like it was something that was definitely easier on that aspect of it. But like, it's, it's a, you know, it's something that it, it just came right. And, and being through some adversity as a kid, being through some adversity in college, like it just helped, you know, mold, uh-huh. mold to where it was. Now, we don't have to get into specifics. It was injuries. You went through so much, the the surgery. Then there was a problem with an injection, I believe, Jesse, and that caused an infection. You tried your best. And 
you gave it your all, right? But for whatever reason, man, I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where um, it's unfortunate. I would have loved to blew out my arm throwing a pitch, um, but it's you look back at it and there's there's things that come from it. Like I'm able to to teach kids now. You know, I I believe everything happens for a reason, and whatever that reason was, obviously I'd still love to be pitching, and I still you know, I still miss it. And, you know, it definitely eats at me. It does, you know, things that I, I won't, I, I can't explain, but like, it's, it's something that, you know, you look back, you, you, you got to understand that you did it. You made it, you did it for a long time. Great and now it's, it's time to try and help the next wave. And that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, and you know, you, uh, like I said, it it was young. You were young, man. And here you are. Now you're out. You couldn't go back. You tried the surgery. The, again, like I said, the infection, they were trying to do the platelet and that whole deal. And you're a young man. You're a young man. Most of the, most of the athletes that I've interviewed, like, okay, maybe in their mid thirties, late thirties, like their career is in. That's still young. You were really young. How long did it take you? To get over that, like how long, how young were you when last time you pitched? Like uh, you were twenty-seven, twenty-seven years 20, old. Yeah, so. I mean, I was, I was young. I was in a, uh, you know, a, a dark place for a while, sure. but it's something that, like, I, I mean, I've had seven shoulder surgeries, an seven. elbow, a hip, and a gallbladder in I didn't China. Know all that, yeah. Oh, oh, so oh. it's it's something that you know I look at and I I think back on and you know it's it still eats at me it still sucks it's still hard to overcome but you know if like like I said earlier on like that's something with my mental stability I was able to I'm able to move on from it and do the the things needed to to keep moving forward. I got you. I got you. You mentioned there China and I saw that you were actually teaching. I think that was like an MLB sponsored thing. Were you coaching training? Uh, what was that like? And and what was, well, go ahead. Tell me first. Of all. Uh, so, I mean, I worked for MLB. It was, it was, so in 2004 with junior college, I was, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to play on a, a junior college, um, like team USA. And we went to China. So I I went there. um, You know, I can say I I won a game there. I hit a home run in China. So there was a lot of things that was cool about that. And then, you know, just going through, you know, some job postings um, randomly. And I saw China baseball. I was like, Oh, let me reach out to it and ended up being MLB. So I was like, okay. So I went for a month initially to see, you know, it's called the envoy or whatever. And I went there and it was, it was a cool experience. And I was like, you know what? I'll, I can do this for a year, probably. Um, not two. They wanted me for two. And I was like, ah, eh, that's probably not going to happen. So I went for a year. Um, I, I, I helped develop baseball in China. I helped, you know, mold some of the youngins to to make it. And it became a, you know, it became something that, again, I'll, I'll I, I got to see there. I got to go to Taiwan. I got to, I got to see a lot of Asia and I got to do a lot of things that a lot of people can say, can't say they've done. Right. And it led to me coaching the Philippines in the world baseball classic. So a lot of things came from it and, and it was a, uh, it was a cool experience. Awesome. Awesome. Is there any, what, what, what do you enjoy? Like the whole difference when you go to these different countries of the culture, the food, do you try to experience that? Oh yeah, you do, I'm a, so that's my thing. Is okay. I I am big on culture, and I mean 
all the places I've been, I, I try and take on the local culture. I like it, eating the local food. I like doing all the, the things that they would do because I, you know, certain places you go, you, you have to respect their culture. Right. And it's, it's something that, you know, if they come here, it's the same thing. Um, and, and I just like, I like seeing, seeing different parts of the world, seeing part, seeing different people, seeing how, how different areas, uh, you know, do what they do. And, um, it's just something that I've always done. It's something that I, I, it's come to me and wherever I go, I like, I like doing local stuff. I like doing the the local eating. I like doing things that, you know, not, many tourists would do, right? Yeah. Not in your comfort zone. Yeah. You're, you're, you're yeah. good. Some people don't want to get out of their comfort yeah, zone. I, man. I love it. I mean, it's something that, you know, I, I say I'm not scared of much, but you know, obviously you have fear of doing things all the time, but like, you know, if you, if you respect their culture and you respect how they go about things, I, I've, I've found out that, um, you know, not, not much is going to happen. They're going to, they're going to respect you back and they're going to, they're going to have an understanding of like, okay, this is, this, this guy is, is, is the real deal. He's cool guy. And, you know, and, and it's something that I've always, I've always, I've enjoyed and, you know, I've, I've done it. Now, what you're doing now is, is it PBR? Is it your, it's kind of like, it's scouting. Yeah. So I'm the PBR Florida scouting director. So basically high school, um, junior college, um, some 14 year olds, some eighth graders, you know, we just, we, we put on, you know, showcases, we, we, we evaluate talent. We kind of have the, you know, the understanding of what they have and, and we, we go about, we have our rankings, we do all that stuff, but being able to see all the state of Florida and the best players. And, you know, for me, it's, it's trying to help them go to the next level, whether it's college or pro ball. And I'm in contact with multiple, multiple colleges, multiple pro teams. And, and they respect me because of what I've done and how I've, you know, gone about everything. And, and, you know, they'll call me and say, who do you recommend? How do you like this guy? And, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's definitely been fun. I wasn't sure if I'd like the scouting side of it. Right. Um, you know, the, the coaching side is what I miss, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where will that come? Maybe I have no idea, but where I'm at now, I'm enjoying this and, you know, moving forward with it. And, you know, I, I had, I had this facility and, you know, I was able to help a, a small amount of people to try and get to the college. Now I took this job because it kind of gives me a, a bigger, a bigger platform to, right. um, you know, help the next wave, you know, conquer their goals and, and, and achieve what they want to do, whether it's playing in college, whether it's going to pro ball. Right. And, and if I can have a small, you know, a small, you know, whatever uh-huh. and helping them do that. Like that's, that's kind of why I'm doing it. What have you found from kids? It's funny. Cause you can say, Oh, the kids are so spoiled, you know, just on, Oh, they're so spoiled. Oh, they're just on their social media. Oh, the parents, it's uh, everybody, you know, get the trophy, but have, are there good kids? Are, you know, you know what I mean? Is it really changed that much? Jesse? Uh, yeah. What, I mean, so, think? I mean, I mean, I think baseball has changed in general. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's an analytic game now. And you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you want to see your exavila, you want to see your launch angle, you want to see your, your spin rate and, and your velocity obviously has played a big thing for pitchers. Um, you know, the kids, the kids kind of dwell on that a little more than they should, um, in my opinion, but, um, it, it, it is important. I mean, and, and they understand it. They see what the, the colleges are, are, are saying. They see what the pro guys are saying. They know, 
they know because of social media, right? And and nowadays the social media platform is such a, a, a crazy world that, you know, you're doing things and you're under a fine tooth, you know, you, you, you have, you're under a fine tooth comb that you don't, you know, you got to be careful what you do. There's been so many, so many bad things that happen to not only professional athletes, but, you know, kids that are trying to go to college that end up not going to college because of something they did on Instagram or something that they weren't, you know, something that they should not have done that they ended up doing because you can see all that stuff nowadays. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the spoiled part of it, I don't think is, is, is the word. I think it's more of, they just have more eyes on them. They have more, more things that, that can be seen. And, you know, we all, we all had our, our, our things that we did as kids. And when we were growing up, there's really no way of seeing unless you were there. There was no, you know, we had the Nokia flip phones. Like you can't do, you can't take pictures and stuff like that to, to throw it on, on, on Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter. Right. So talk everything, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, everything's being seen now. And, and that's kind of how a lot of colleges are recruiting too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something to be, to be said, like it, it works both ways. Like it's, it's a positive thing and it's a negative thing. And, you know, the kids have changed. Yes. But I think it's, I mean, it's, it's mainly because of the social media and the platforms that they're, they're able and, and have access to. And, you know, the kids see other kids that they might be better than to get in college. I, well, and, and you can't really do anything about it. You just got to get, you got to keep going. I see. I see. All right. So in closing, it sounds like though, if an opportunity came up to be maybe a pitching coach, see, you can still hit, you play, you play in amateur men's leagues and you're raking. So you, you could coach at, but I guess your expertise would be pitching. What do you think though? Do you think down the road if the opportunity uh, presents itself or yeah, who knows? I mean, it would definitely have to be the right the right opportunity. I mean, it's something that I've always wanted to manage. Um, I, I think I've done the pitching coach thing with the Braves ah. and um, it was kind of a pigeonhole for me. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed my time there, but you know, being a director or, or a manager would probably play to me a little better. I um, just so, I I, cause I like all the game, not just pitching, I um, you. you know, college, I, I, I would maybe be open to do pitching because you kind of have your own way of doing things there and you can, you can mold your own program there. Um, but you know, like I said, right now doing this is, is fun and I'm still, still coaching at East Lake high school. So I, I get, I get my fix of coaching a little bit and, um, you know, if the right opportunity came, I would, definitely consider it um but where i'm at now is 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 fine and and i'm, I'm enjoying it you got a great attitude man great thank attitude you. appreciate it thank you jesse no problem i appreciate having me you know it's funny i was covering the tampa bay devil rays when jesse lich was a bat boy i didn't know at the time he was a bat boy i remember him with his red hair being in the public relations department and I'm like, oh, that, 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 oh, look at that kid. Okay, he's he's trying to make it in, in uh, you know, he's learning the ropes. And that's kind of cool because he lives locally. Look at that. He got a gig with the PR department. I didn't know later that he went downstairs as a bad boy. I mean, and then, the you know, the years go on. I cover a team. I'm, I'm not that familiar with the bad boys, you know. And when I saw that he made it up and he's pitching, for the Toronto Blue Jays and like when he filled in for Roy Halladay and what he did. And I was just, I was blown away, blown away. 
And I love that he not only gives back, but still plays because he just loves playing baseball. Even when they have these amateur national tournaments, there's nobody in the stands. These guys just got the camaraderie. They party. They get together. They do road trips. And they just play. And and uh, I just think that's great. So, Jesse, good for you, man. Best of luck. It sounds like you want to manage one day, not just be a pitching coach. And uh, I, I'm, I'm pulling for you. So thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, baseball, baseball. I mean, hot stove, hot stove. I saw that the Devil, the Rays, <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays were named. Uh, base, I think it was Baseball America. Name them the organization of the year. Isn't that funny how they don't have a bit, they have the smallest payroll, so or second to slowest payroll. You know, they're down there with the Marlins. And year in and year out, man, they're consistently in the mix. They're in the hunt. They're in the playoffs. It's incredible. And it's incredible on how they do it and with their scouting system, you know, and there's other teams that look like, how come the Rays can do it? You know, look at the payrolls of some of these other teams. You know, the sport is different. So it's really, really amazing. But that whole deal, and I'm not going to get into it here. And if you're not from the Bay Area, you could care less. But there is honest, there is a plan that the owner, Stu Sternberg, is dead set that he's doing it. And he says that he's got the backing of Major League Baseball, that the team will play half the season in Tampa Bay and the other half in Montreal. And that it will work out for both markets and you're going to get both, both areas to build new stadiums and for how you couldn't get one built for a full team. I haven't met the whole thing is I like to like get the, the feel of the room. I haven't met one person, not one person that has actually been for that plan. Not one, not one. Can you imagine your team's off to a decent start and now, okay, in June, okay, there's a prayer. They're going, they leave. Now they're Montreal's team. And then what happens when you get the playoffs in the World Series and where you're back and forth? Anyway, anyway, baseball, hot stove. We'll have more of that as we roll on. I know if you're living in the North, you love it. When I lived in the North, even when I lived in Denver, Colorado, and when I would see uh, in Arizona, like in Tucson, the Colorado Rockies, when they started and the games were on TV and I'm like, oh, God, look at those palm trees. Like, look at it, it's 80 degrees and we got snow here. Like, I think that's what makes baseball so cool when the spring training games start Grapefruit League or, you know, in Arizona, when you're in the north and you're tired of the snow and you're tired of shoveling and you're tired of the, you know, the snow has turned dark and wet and everything is ugh, and gray. And you, when you just see baseball and a beautiful grass and sun, you know what I mean? There's something to that, man. There's nothing like spring training. Spring training was one of my favorite things to cover. I remember years and years ago, it was a beautiful day at spring training. You know, 78 degrees, just the sunshine. And I remember saying to the general manager at the time for the Devil Race, Chuck Lamar, I was kind of tight with Chuck. And I said, Chuck, I just love this. And he goes, never gets old, never gets old. I don't take it for granted. 
So anyway, there used to be all these jokes about Chuck Lamar and these drops on the radio station that I was at. It was Chuck Lamar's fault. Chuck Lamar's fault. But anyway, that was it. That's my spring training. All right. I do. Now, I didn't get into this in my Bucks kickoff podcast, but it's with Tom. It's it's Tom Brady. I got to I got to give you a little insight here. Uh, and I got time here to do it. And since, you know, they're going to be in the playoffs and we're getting closer to that now, you know, he he talks every Thursday like the quarterback for every NFL team. When you're the starting quarterback, you talk once a week and it's usually on a Thursday, a Wednesday or a Thursday. Uh, Friday is a real quick practice. This is the NFL in general. Monday and Tuesdays. Monday, you don't do much. Tuesday's an off day. Wednesday's the full day. Um, and then Thursday is a good day. And then Friday's basically very light. Saturday, sometimes you have a walkthrough. Or if not, maybe that's on a Friday. And then, boom, you got your games on Sunday. On a normal week. So Tom Brady talks once a week. He is really, really good. I'm not being a homer here. I'm not like, oh, because I live in Tampa Bay and and I'm kissing his ass. No, I'm telling you what I see. I am honest as I can be with this podcast. I tell you everything. And, you know, he's really good. He's done this. It's almost like the Rolling Stones. You know, how the hell do they still have the passion they have traveled together and been together the stones for, oh my God, Mick Jagger's 78 years old and they still, you know, I now you don't do meet and greets because of COVID. Sometimes you can use COVID as an example. It's like when we're over at the Bucks and the media with the small media contingent we were discussing the other day, are we ever going to go back in that building? No, you can't because of COVID. We'll always have some COVID. There'll always be some type of strain. No, you'll never get back in because they don't, they don't like, they don't want the media. Who wants the media? Ugh, media. So um, anyway, but Brady comes out where it's done outside and we're at 10 feet away from him. And it's a smaller contingent, the ones that are there all the time. And he's been asked a thousand times about everything, but he also, he's getting more and more questions about retirement. Like, and he handles it like a pro, but I'll tell you this. Now I've been at just about every single Thursday uh, this year. When Brady talks, I've been at a training camp every day and he says the same thing all the time. And he, he, you know, he's careful with his words, but you know what he says? He's like, I'll always, I'm at the end of my career. I'm, I like helping young players succeed. He really does. He really means that. Like he really tries to help young players succeed succeed he goes there some of them are just starting their careers some are at the middle of their careers i'm at the end of my career so he knows and he hasn't lost a step his arm strength has not diminished i'm there every practice and i watch i watch the drills that they do throwing into the net trying to hit this big donut trying to hit the crossbar they compete when brady warms up i said to some other podcast he throws it so stinking hard there's zip on the ball like it really is amazing it's amazing but father time will catch up but will father time catch up or will he end up calling it quits himself and what he does say is, I'll, and he said it again, he was asked this week, 
And I was right there. And they said, how do you think about retirement? Will you be the one? Will someone have to tell you? And he goes, I'll never stop loving it. Like, it's not like he's, he, he goes, I'll always love it. He just loves football. He loves it. He loves the process. He loves everything about it. But he always says this, but there's other things in my life that are very important. And my kids are growing now and I want to make sure I'm there for them and just other things, family commitment. He's got enough money. They're so rich. He and his wife, he's got the fame. He, he's not a bragger or anything like that. Like when he, there's little things I don't want to go into it. And if you're not a Brady fan, you're probably tuned out already. But my point is every time it's brought up, he was like, look, I'm not 20. He said this two weeks ago. I'm not 25. When you're 25 and you come out here in the football field, you just, that's all you think. Then you go back, you do whatever you want. But now my time, my life, I have other commitments in life that I have to, that I'm dealing with that want to deal with family and things like that. And that's, that's the thing that's going to make his decision is he going to retire? And the reason why I'm just bringing this up is we're just about the end of the regular season. This might be it. Now, if you if you're Logley or you're a Buccaneer fan or you're a Brady fan, take it all in. Now, I know Rich Eisen, who is on NFL Network. He's got his own radio TV show. He was saying the other day that he thinks and through the people he know this is going to be it. This is going to be it. Now, Brady has not given any indication that it is. If they don't win the Super Bowl, I it's I I think maybe one more year, but maybe this is it. And I'm that's why I'm trying to soak it all in when I'm watching him in practice, watching him in the games, watching him after games. I'm like, wow. Like I said it, I don't know if I said it here. I know I've told many people, and I've said it on my Bucks kickoff podcast, Jeff Darlington put it best. Jeff Darlington, a reporter for ESPN that covers the NFL, and he told Rich Eisen after he finished a sit-down interview with Brady, and he walked away, and he was like, I just talked to Babe Ruth. Like, this doesn't happen in our generation. You know, so, and if, and if Buccaneer fans think that this is just going to last, man, <laughs> or the Champa Bay thing, same thing with the life. Look at Boston. I remember not that many years ago, recently, we were up there when I worked at Bay News 9 and the Lightning were eliminated by the Boston Bruins. They were one goal away from going to the Stanley Cup. And we came out of that TD Center. And there were a bunch, I remember my, the camera guy we have, Jason McDowell, he is hysterical. He was like, oh, these mass holes. And they were young guys, they were drink drunk, and they were uh, so obnoxious in the party. And I'm like, man, the Celtics had won. The Bruins just won. Look at what the freaking Patriots do. God dang it. You know, now look at it. Look how things, it's cyclical. There are some cities and markets that never get a chance. So you just got to take it all in when it's here. And I marvel watching him. I, I really, 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 really do. Now there's two other, there's another thing. I want to, I'm lucky enough with my life and schedule now that, you know, I do miss the nice size paychecks 
and the full benefits being at a company. I miss that. I don't miss everything else that goes along with it (laughs) is I can make my own schedule. I can put who I want on this podcast. I can talk about whatever the hell I want to do. So that is beautiful. Too bad. There couldn't be a meeting somewhere in the middle. I'm a team guy, but I don't miss out on my daughter Addie's events. And if Hunter's got something going on, but he's, he's a low key. My son is very low key. He's got his own business, works out of his room, lives with his mom. He's involved in his church. He's a good kid. Good, good kid. Good to his sister. Couldn't ask for anything more. He's not as social. He's got his tight friends. He's got his tight friends. But my daughter is involved in cheerleading. She's in chorus. She does dance. And there's a lot of events. There's a lot of things to take her to. And I'm trying to help out my wife. We got a team effort going and it's great. And like I said, I grew up with brothers and it's always male oriented stuff. I've been playing sports since I was a little kid. I've been covering sports and in on fields and for my whole life. So to go to the chorus uh, holiday party, to go to the uh, dance performance, to go to her cheerleading competitions. I love it. Variety is a spice of life. Just like I had a couple of people that were, oh, I'm not listening to your podcast anymore. Oh, you had a guy that was involved with Bubba the Love Sponge. You're a shock jock like when I had Tuttle on. or You know what? I just, I just take the high road. Variety is the spice of life. You want the same stuff all the time. You know what I mean? You can't, I'm learning, you can't please everybody. You got to have some heat coming your way. At least you're doing some. You're you're striking a nerve, right? Uh, and so I'm trying to diversify a little bit. Matter of fact, I got a couple of rock successful DJs. One is transition. Another one is on like, God, I don't know, a hundred and some stations probably across the country. How did they make it to the top? How do they make it in this business? I got that coming your way next. But I'll always intersperse, you know, some of my, my sports stuff here. But um. What makes me probably the happiest. Oh, oh, here's a perfect example. So like I really have been trying to do and I've been successful so far. I think I've done 42 of these rock stops here podcast and I haven't done one zoom, you know, make it would be a lot easier. I get a lot big high name profile guests. I just did zoom the audio, but I like to sit across from my guest. I just like the one-on-one. I just, I just do. I like it. It's about them. And I can't get that as much from Zoom, man. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll have to go that route. But so far, so good. Um, And so the Outback Bowl, which takes place in Tampa Bay, it's run by this, uh, the Sullivans, Bob's, or Basham and Sullivan. They, They own the Outback. And they sponsor the Outback Bowl and they have the best invitation only parties to a who's who in Tampa Bay. And especially with its Outback, it's all Outback food. It's open bar. And I mean, I try not to miss these and they're the best. And you get to see, you get to catch up with people and they usually have some name celebrities. They do great entertainment. So they had the coaches contract signing and I was like, I was really looking forward to this. And I didn't know if John Grude would make his first appearance. I thought, boy, if he makes his first appearance, oh my God, you can, because 
ever since went down. If you follow sports, you know what happened. John Gruden got fired. There was emails in that he was given to his buddies like 10 years ago and he sent them and, and a lot of, there was some stuff, you know, stuff in there and it was found with the Washington football team investigation and, Oh my God, that was it. He knows he should have been fired, but he's suing the NFL and blah, blah, blah. But he also said he made one statement or one appearance or talked to somebody one time since this happened, said, I'm not going to hide. Like I'm eventually, I'm not going to hide the rest of my life. Like I live my life. I'm going to be out. And I thought if there's ever a time, cause he lives here in Tampa Bay, that this is his home. And his best buddy is like Jim McVeigh, who runs the Outback Bowl, the Hooters people. Gruden used to work out of Hooters. He loves the Hooters guys. Uh, and this, the Sullivan, like the Outback, the Hooters, Jim McVeigh, they're all buddies. And I thought if there's ever a first appearance, this would be his first way the, in front of all his buddies. But my, and so anyway, I could not go because my daughter had uh, her chorus holiday party. And I, my wife volunteered me to be like the front desk reception for these parents uh, b- before they get there and all that stuff. And that was fine. I'm, I'm glad I was a phys ed uh, major my first two years at St. Leo, I would not be able to deal with some, some parents. I really wouldn't some, some, Oh my God. I don't, I don't want to get into that. Uh, one is so pushy. Where are you from? New Jersey, New York. I knew it. Oh, you're my man. Hey, listen, I got a party of six. I want advanced, a uh, reserved seating. No, you can't come into the gym. You can't come into the, uh, place until six 30. No, no, no. I'll be back. You, you, what's your name? Rock. Boom. You're my man. I'll be back here with my family at 6.15. You let me in. I never said I was going to let you in. You know, and then matter of fact, I mean, just dealing with some parents, man. Oh, my God. But anyway, volunteered, happy to do it. And it was wonderful. My daughter had a little bit of a speaking part. She's so confident on stage, 12 years old. They're singing their hearts out. They're around their friends. They're hugging. I wouldn't want to have missed that for the world. You know, and then I got home. And then that night on so I saw on social media that John Long John Daly, John Daly was at the party. And he's got the big long Santa Claus beard. His wife or girlfriend, I don't know if they're married, Anna, used to work for Hooters and was with the one, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, she's been together with John Daly for a long time. I know Anna. I respect them. I tried to get John Daly years ago. He was parked at a Hooters with a van. He does this at the uh, Masters where he comes and he sells his merchandise. He had a bucket of beer underneath the register and he hits the register. And I got there and it was late. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, dude. I already did my interviews, man. You should have set it up earlier in time. So I like, that's my one. Like I want to, I like John Daly so much, man. I wanted to get him. I was like, oh, he was at the Outback thing. Oh, but I had to go to my daughter's thing. So you can't make everything. <laughs> and I'm still so glad that I did. But wouldn't you know, the next day when I went to Bucks practice and a couple of the reporters, this Rick Stroud, he's covered the Bucks. He was at it and he said, oh, John Daly couldn't have been nicer. He was there because John Daly's a big uh, Arkansas fan. He's from Arkansas. And Arkansas is playing in this bowl game. And so that's why he was here. But he also lives in Clearwater. Uh, he's also got it. But anyway, and he's friends with uh, Kid Rock. And and I've seen all the videos because I follow on. Anyway, you can't make everything. But you know what? Um, and it makes me my heart. It makes me feel so good when you see your kids perform like so well. 
Because, look, I'm not afraid now to go on stage in front of 200 people and talk like it's nothing. But it took me a long time, even when I was in broadcasting. Because when you're in TV or you're in radio, you're in radio, you're in a studio, usually nobody's around. There's nobody there. You're talking to a microphone. When I was on TV and did a did a nightly live show, there was no camera person there. I was talking to a camera. There was nobody in the studio. It's just me and a camera, even though there's a lot of people around the region watching. So when I would get in front of a lot of people, public speaking, I would get nervous. And it took me a while to get over that. Now I can do Now it's no big thing. But my daughter's only uh, 12 years old. And there were, it was a packed, there were several hundred, it was a packed audience and like nothing. I was like, where did that come from? And my wife had been a TV reporter and she's nervous for public speaking. I said, where, where did he get that from? So it was great to see. And I'm just, I'm very, very thankful, man. And we, sometimes we just got to be like, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for what we have You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So for any of you that might not like it, if I bring on a shock jock or someone that has offended, uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) You know? You know? So anyway, listen, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this edition of The Rock Stops here. I'm going to talk to you next Tuesday. Next Tuesday drops Tuesday morning. We go all the way through. My thanks to you guys. If you aren't subscribing, please subscribe. And uh, if you like it, great. If you don't, man, what can I say, man? All right? All right. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, man. On this week's episode of Crush Performance, it was inevitable that our two main themes of talent and the Crush Brain Game were on course to collide head on. And we're working to connect the dots so we can move forward with purpose. This week, we're going down under once again to visit with Dr. Alex Roberts from Latrobe University in Melbourne, Australia. We'll discuss the art of athlete selection and how we must address the unique needs of athletes at the various stages of development. We'll look at the important difference between forecasting talent and selecting talent and What if we had a talent ID system for coaches? We discuss all this and much more as we look at coaching and leadership on this week's episode of Crush Performance. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.